been a number of weeks since we finished up our study of the book of Ephesians, and we've done some other things. We had a, an Advent series in there and a few other sermons, but as most of you are uh, probably well aware of, if you've been attending church here for any length of time, you know that uh, what I love to do most, what I uh, feel called to do most by the Lord is to uh, preach through books of Scripture. And so we're going to return to that this morning. And uh, I don't uh, make a rule of it, but I tend to uh, bounce back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament books. I think it's good for us to be exposed to both and see how they tie together. One of my favorite things about preaching through books is actually the opposite of what most people's response is. uh, Because most people's response is that when you're preaching through a book of the Bible, then you're only in that book for a long time and not in any other place of Scripture. And I have found it to be the exact opposite. I found that when we are teaching and uh, doing a good study of a book of Scripture, that we actually end up going all over the Bible. And that's good, because we see how the Bible is tied together. And uh, it's one of the reasons I bounce back and forth. I think we ought to see uh, one of the claims that the apostles, the early disciples made as they presented the gospel to uh, people that did not yet know Jesus. One of the claims they made was that all of the prophets, all the things that were written and spoken by God through the prophets in the Old Testament were pointing to Jesus. So if that's the case, if that's the premise, then I think we should be very willing to go into the Old Testament and see if we can find truth of those things uh, found in those pages, though they may sometimes be difficult to understand. I'm also, this also means this hasn't happened for a couple of weeks, so I'm just going to say it again uh, as a reminder to you that uh, if you would care to, if it helps you to pay attention or to dig into the Word, if you want to follow along on a handout, I prepare a handout when I do these kind of things to help us get through, and if you want to take notes, it should be on the backside of your bulletin. If you uh, got a bulletin this morning and you flip that on the backside, you can see that there are notes. I try to do my best that all the scriptures that I'm intending to share, sometimes those change as we go through the message, but all the scriptures I'm intending to share, uh, to put them there so you can go back and study them further. I also try to give you a little indication where we're going to be next week. Again, that may change because sometimes I get into a, a, a bunch of uh, verses and I think I, I can't cover this much or I can cover more than this, although it's rarely that one, it's usually the other one, that I can't cover this much and it gets shortened, if anything. But it uh, gives you an idea if you care to. And my, my hope or my goal is that you will read through those verses uh, this coming week and be prepared to uh, uh, maybe have been studying them yourself already and be prepared to hear a message on them. Uh, we're, I don't know if I ever even said it so far, but you can tell if you looked at the handout. We're going to go to a little book tucked away in the Old Testament that for many of us might be difficult to find. It's the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is the uh, fourth to the last book in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. And actually, we don't know a whole lot about Zephaniah other than what we find out in this short book, which isn't a whole lot about Zephaniah. Uh, other than we get to know what his message is. So if you want to open your Bibles, I really hope you brought them today. You should bring your Bible with you to church. Uh, it is one of the fundamental things that we stand for here as we gather together is that uh, we want the Word to be elevated and taught, and so uh, we want you to have your Bible with you. If you have it, you can flip there to the book of Zephaniah. You're going to find it after Habakkuk, which may not help you too much, and before Haggai, which also may not help you too much. But you will find it there towards the end of the Old Testament, Zephaniah. Now, I told you there's not much written about Zephaniah. We're going to do just a bit of background as much as we know about what's happening around this time. But I wanted to begin just by reading the words because I think that's a great place to begin. It also will set the tone. You'll notice right away that Zephaniah is not pull punches. He's pretty bold in what he says. He paints big pictures on both sides of the equation, and I'll explain that perhaps more as we go through. 
I entitled my message this morning specifically the word of the Lord. It simply comes from the first phrase that we're going to read. And of course, we're going to be introduced to that. Almost the entire book of Zephaniah is this ongoing message that God has said through Zephaniah. Verse 1, Zephaniah chapter 1 says this, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. That's the introduction so far. Here's what he says. Here's what God says through Zephaniah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Let me stop there and let me just invite you to just pause for a moment and think back to what you heard and think of what an, what a, what an opening this is to preaching through a text of God's word. Let me invite you to pause for a moment and think of those words that I read and the words that you're reading. Where does that take you? What are you thinking about? What are you feeling and sensing? You might think to yourself, this is not a typical message we hear in modern-day evangelical churches. You might think to yourself, this may not be so fun. You might think to yourself, this is a really strong and bold message. And you might be right in all those things you think, and I would begin by reminding you this is the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, and these, are, these words are in quotation. So God is the one that says these things. Can I tell you one of the other things I really like? I use that fairly loosely, but one of the reasons I stand so strongly on the fact that I am called to teach through books of the Bible and through all kinds of books of the Bible is the fact that it doesn't allow us to pull away from things that aren't so fun to talk about. Doesn't allow me to look at a message and say, I don't want to preach that message. I'd rather find something a lot more fun to talk about. That's going to be received a lot better by people who want to hear that. But this is the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. It gives us a background of who his fathers are, and it gives us a hint of when he was saying these things. So, Let's just begin there before we come to the message, which is, I think, set the tone already, but let me just begin there. Zephaniah says, I, he identifies who he is, and he says, I am prophesying in the days of Josiah. Does anyone know anything about Josiah? If you know me, you know I like to have interaction with the congregation. I like to know that you're engaged. I like when you're paying attention. So I ask questions sometimes, and I'm okay with answers. In fact, I would prefer to have answers. 
He's the boy king. Now, why do you say he's the boy king, Brent? It's true. He became king when he was eight years old. Now, I used to do this a long time ago, back in a prior life. It's not really a prior life, but it's a long time ago for me. I used to be a youth pastor, and so I, I, we, we did these things all the time. When I, when I taught the youth, and I would say this, we'd go through the, we did a series or a study of, of a lot of the kings of, of the people of Israel. I, I used to say this, good king, bad king. One of the sort of basic, basic sort of question off the front, because you see all kinds of them in there. So let's just off the front, Josiah. Good king, bad king. Good king, go good king that went bad. Now, no king was perfect, right? But Josiah was a good king. Do you know of anything that happened during Josiah's reign? All right, he destroyed the temples of the false gods. Why did he do that? This is good. I love this. This is not Sunday school, but it's, it's fun to have discussion like this. Why did he do that? Why did, why did Josiah say, I need to get rid of these things? They found a scroll where? In the room of the temple. So the first, the part of that story starts by the fact that Josiah began to restore the temple, right? He began to say, wait a minute. This is not in a good, good place. And, and we, and we, now, if you read the back in, in I, I gave you a reference here. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 or 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. We're not going to go back and read those. Actually, Josiah was helped a lot by the priest. I think his name was Hilkiah. I should have written that down. I, I think his name was Hilkiah. Um, so he was helping. They began to restore some things in the temple, to brush a few things up. And in doing so, they found the word of God. And they began to read it. And what happened when they began to read it? Did Josiah say, ah, we have our own advisors. We have our own people to tell us, eh, let's skip this. Let's put this aside. How did he respond? He immediately, he was distraught. He immediately responded with repentance and in doing so, he led the way to a lot of incredibly good changes. He, got, he destroyed idols. He destroyed priests who, who led them to those idols. He did all kinds of reform. Now, I was interested in finding out as I was preparing for this that we don't actually know for sure when Zephaniah, the guy we're reading this and, and going to be reading through the next uh, several weeks here, that we don't know for sure when Zephaniah said these things. He doesn't give us a marker that it was in this year. A lot of times the, the, the prophecy there, right, they say, in the year of this. We don't get that marker, so we don't know for sure if he did it before or after the reforms that Josiah brought about. You could actually make a case for both. You could say that it was before the reforms and part of Zephaniah's message of what led to Josiah responding the way that he did, right? That when he heard those words and he was reading those words, he said, we better change something. You could say that. You could also, I think, make a case it was after. There's a specific reference. I read it this morning in verse 4. It says that God says that he will cut off the remnant of Baal. And it's one of the things that, uh, that Josiah did. He destroyed the prophets of Baal. He removed them. But we know that he did not do it all completely. There was a remnant left. There was a few of them left. And they began to raise their heads again, just like they did all, uh, all the way through the Israel's history. So you could say that if God refers to a remnant, that he's not saying get rid of them as he might, if, it was, if they were in full power, he's saying there's a few left and I'm going to get rid of them too. I don't know. I don't think it necessarily matters that much because the message for us today isn't going to change a whole lot, whether he said it before or after Josiah began his reforms. As we talk through the book of Josiah, as we realize that the book of Josiah, I should have put this up because that's, that's what we're talking about. The word of the Lord came to, came to Zephaniah. As we talk about Zephaniah's prophecy in the days of Josiah, I better get that right, we begin to see that Zephaniah has a very strong message. I, I started today, it's not going to get much easier. It's not like he's going to start pulling punches later and softening his message. 
Zephaniah points or paints a very dark, a very bleak, a very clear picture of God's judgment. In fact, in some ways, Zephaniah paints a stronger picture, a more bleak picture, a more complete picture. Look at the words he's using. We'll get to that in a little bit. But look at the words he's using. There's not a lot of wiggle room, right? There's not a lot of, well, maybes or, well, just sort of, or it'll go halfway, or it's partway. It's, it's, it's God's next little warning line. It's like, this is come to the end. Also, we'll find that Zephaniah actually gives a bright picture of hope in the midst of this bleak picture of destruction. I want to give you just, this is sort of an opening part here, and we're going to dig into some words here in a little bit, or some specific messages, but I want to give you just an opening sort of, here's something to keep in mind. Now, this is not, this study's not going to last very long. There's three chapters in the book of Zephaniah, so we're not going to, it's not going to last like some of the book studies that we do, which are a lot longer. But as we dig through this, I want to just sort of set the, the, the groundwork for the, in general, the message that we're going to hear. I think in general, we can say this. Now, these are my words. This is not text from the Bible, so please don't, don't confuse them. These are my words. This is my assessment. I think in general, we're going to find that Zephaniah's message is that God's judgment is coming on the whole world. God's judgment is coming on the whole entire world. But I think we'll see that he especially has a problem with his children that have turned away from him. That's going to come through. So there's a judgment coming for the whole world, but there's a specific message for the children of Israel. Those are his people, and they've turned away from him. At the same time, and I want to make both these statements sort of simultaneously, so I phrase them sort of the same time. God's judgment is coming on the whole world, but especially for his children who have turned away from him. And God's judgment is coming for the whole world, but we also see that there's hope for his children who turn toward him. This is going to set up what the driving, underarching message of Zephaniah is going to be. If God's judgment is coming, and it is, then you are moved to a place of choice. Will I turn away or will I turn toward? Interestingly, Zephaniah's name, his very name means the Lord hides. The Lord hides. And a strong theme through the book of Zephaniah is that in the face of the sweeping, utter, destructive justice judgment that's coming, the Lord will hide those who turn to him. Clearly, you know this, right? This is not a theme new in Scripture. This is not like Zephaniah is saying something counter to what all the people of God have been saying. But he says it in some very short, concise, strong language that we're going to jump into. I want to throw this one thing up yet because of what I, the statement I just made. There is a wonderful half verse towards the end of Zephaniah. We'll get to back again to the end. But I want it to be sort of the... I hesitate using this word because I don't, I, I, it leads us some places sometimes. But I want it to be sort of the mantra that's the first thing that came to mind. I want it to be the, the theme that we carry through this whole discussion. Because we're going to wrestle with some things about God and some things we sometimes don't like to think about God. That God and his justice, how he responds. But in Zephaniah 3.17 is this phrase. I didn't give the reference. We're going we're to bump up to this like every message. I'm going to bring us back to this because I think this is what Zephaniah really wants us to know. Here's the phrase that's there. The Lord God is in your midst. And we're going to see that through and through. And we're going to see that that can mean good things and bad things. But the Lord God is in your midst, 
and he is a mighty one who will save. Can you just read through that phrase with me? It's on the screen up here. So can you read through that phrase with me? The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Let's say it again. The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. I want us to have this in our heads and minds. Every one of us, for the days that are coming, the moments that are coming this morning and the following weeks, when we're going to read so very clearly of God's judgment that's coming on the evil and those who have turned away from God and those who, who have thumbed their nose at God. And I want that to be there so that we will remember that Stephaniah has a message inside of that that says, but you can turn to him and he will save you. And I want you to know that and have it inside of you. I want us to know that because what we have to do is take this kind of message and realize the truth of it for us today and realize that the same is true. That as we look around and we see clearly that God's judgment is going to come and is being poured out on those who thumb their nose and those who mix their, their allegiance with, to God, those who say yes to him but also yes to other things, who turn away from him. And know without a shadow of a doubt, brothers and sisters, know without a shadow of a doubt that though the destruction and the pain and the suffering that God will unleash as he brings justice is going to be great, that the Lord God is in our midst and he's a mighty one and he will save those who hide in him. He will save those who turn to him, who hide in him. I told you this a couple of weeks ago in very plain sort of heartfelt language, and I want to tell you again, it is my deepest desire that every one of you here this morning find yourself in that place of being saved by God, of being hidden in him, of being able to withstand and endure to the very end so that we will arrive before the throne of God worshiping with all the saints someday. What did God say through Zephaniah? Well, how about this for a start? You know, it's good for, for us to have moments like this to check what we think about God or to, to just line up because it's very easy and it's very right, I should tell you, by the way, it's very easy and right for us to think about God's compassion and his grace and his great love toward us all true. But it's the same God that says these words, right? He says, here's what I want you to know. And I'm going to start off by getting your attention right from the get-go. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. And if you're not sure what that means, he goes on and says that. I'm gonna sweep away man and beast, birds and fish, and all the rubble. I will cut off all of mankind from the face of the earth. I will come against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I'm gonna cut them all off. I'm telling you, though these words, we don't like to hear them, we wish we could talk about other things. These are words we desperately need lest we fall soft on what God thinks about sin and what God thinks about those who disobey him and on what God thinks about those who start out with him and say, but I want something else. 
on what God thinks of those who have looked on so great a salvation that's offered to them and say, no thanks. Now, literally, he's saying that about the Israelites, right? Because he delivered them from Egypt. And they know the story. They've been told from young up. And some of them, many of them, as we know from the stories through Judges, through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, we know that many of them said, no thanks. Or said, yes, but also this. Or said, yes, and then turned away. But without a shadow of a doubt, we today cannot sit here and look at those people, those people and say, look at such a great deliverance God worked for you. The book of Hebrews makes it so clear, right? That the salvation that God has offered to us in Jesus Christ is of far greater import, far greater meaning, and for far greater a group of people as in the world. And if we ignore so great a salvation, what kind of wrath do you think God will have for us when we trample underfoot the Son of God? We profane his blood. Those are words right out of the book of Hebrews. We are nothing like God. Please understand. I should be careful when I say that. We have the image of God in us. But we are nothing like how God sees and views things. We, don't, we, we can't comprehend quite all that. But I'm certain we can understand that if we, by some measure, could put around our heads around the idea that we were perfect and had the absolute perfect plan and we sent our perfect son to accomplish what nobody else could ever accomplish in the entirety of humanity, and it was, it was trampled on or turned away from or not wanted or all the things we do with Jesus, how do you think we would respond? I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. By the way, this is, what Zephaniah is saying is not the first time they're hearing these things. Before the exile happened at all, we go to a prophet named Isaiah. Let me just read a couple of verses here. We're going to see some themes. I, I read verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. We're going to see some of the same things that Hosea said to them before the exile even happened. Hear the word of the Lord, he says in Hosea verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. What there is is here in verse 2. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Then he says this. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. You see the connection between what man has done and the effects on all of creation, on all of the earth, on all the beasts, on all the birds, on all the fish, on the earth itself. We also see the connection not just that way, but we see the connection between what the Israelites are doing and the judgment that's coming upon the whole nation. But you know that's true because sin came before the Israelites existed, right? Sin came from the very beginning. All of us have inherited that. We read people, things like Isaiah. You know, we, we know the story of Isaiah, right? Isaiah, especially we, that opening scene. Well, maybe that's the opening scene, but it's pretty early in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. He says when Uzziah was king, he saw the Lord. He has this incredible vision, and, it, and, and God uh, sends the angel with the coal and, and purifies his lips, cleanses his lips. I'm flipping back there so I can read for you, uh, not just tell you what it says. And then we know this line so well. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says what? Oh, we should know this. He says, here I am, send me. But do we know what's said after that? Do you know what the message is that God gives them? Because we often think of this as this wonderful message that God is going to give the people of of Israel through Isaiah. Here I am, send me. Yes, I'm going to give. But what does he say? Verse 9 says, Isaiah says, and I said, uh, God said, go and say this to the people. Here's what he's supposed to say. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and, their blind, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, does that sound like the God we typically talk about? Then I said, Isaiah says, then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now, if you would continue reading the book of Isaiah, which we can't do this morning, you would understand that this message is fleshed out in the whole rest of the book. Message of judgment, but but counter with the message of hope. It's the same thing we're gonna get in condensed form. I read those verses because we see the same message that God is saying, right? I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal, the name of idolatrous priests, and along with, along with the priests. All of those people. We're gonna read more about it next week as he continues to have the same theme. But I want you to notice at the end of Isaiah's words I just read, there was the idea of a seed, right? A remnant. And the same message will be in Zephaniah. Judgment, but the remnant, the the glimmer of hope. It's the message that you will hear from these pages over the next several weeks. It's a message God wants us to receive. It's a message we need to hear today in our environment, in our culture. God's judgment is coming, but there's a glimmer of hope. There's a reason to know that the Lord hides those who come to him. One piece we have yet to do this morning, again, we're going to flesh a lot of this stuff out as we go through. I can't cover it all in one morning. You don't want me to cover it all in one morning. But I'm I'm intrigued by the verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6, I think God, through Zephaniah, lays out one of the reasons why God's judgment is coming. I think we should pay attention to these verses. Because they lay out what I would say is uh, several different categories of people. Those who do this, those who do this, those who do this. And they're given to us, I believe, for God to remind us of why his judgment is coming. Are you willing to understand that this morning? Are you willing to allow yourself to read those words and say, this is why God's judgment is coming, and willing to entertain the idea that it's given to me today because I need to make sure I'm not in that category, in any of those categories. I wrote them down in front of my own, in my own way, but they come right out of the verses. Before I get there, let me just say this. One theme I think we're going to find throughout this book, one reason we're going to find for God's judgment is all boiled down to one word, and that is the word allegiance. You've heard me use this word often. In fact, I use it about as often as I say we are saved by faith or by, through grace. 
We are saved by our allegiance. That's what faith is, our allegiance to Jesus. And God makes it clear from the very beginning that this is what he's interested in. Think of this way. When God spoke to the Israelites as he was forming his people and giving them the rules to live by, what's the very first one he gave them? If you don't know it off the top of your head, I'll put it up on the screen for you. Deuteronomy 5, 7. You shall have no other gods before me. I think I have the wrong reference there. I want to make sure I'm not giving you a wrong reference. I'm going to take time to look it up. Mostly I see that because I think on the handout I gave you a different reference, so you need to know which one's correct. Deuteronomy 5, 7 is, you shall have no other gods before me. That's what I have up here. What did I put down? Probably the same theme in a different way. Yeah, it's not the same verse. Deuteronomy 10, 20 says, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Same theme, but it's verse 7, 5, 7 that I really want to put on your attention. So if you want to scratch that out on your, on your handout, Deuteronomy 5, 7 is what I actually have in mind to tell you because God very clearly began his requirements for his people with these words, you shall have no other gods before me. This is the question of allegiance. You shall have no one more important than me in your life. When God was about to fulfill the law, when God was about to f- fulfill the law, and by that I mean Jesus came on the scene, then he again said words that sounded similar. In Matthew six twenty four. Jesus says these words, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one, and, I'm sorry, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. I got this flipped around. No one can serve two masters. Your allegiance matters, and you can't serve more than one. And God says, I want your allegiance more than anything. And what we're going to see in the book of Zephaniah is that God's judgment is coming because of our lack of allegiance. Look at the those who's. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heavens. I put this category as this. Those who give their allegiance to other gods. There's no doubt about it. There's no pulling punches. They said, I don't want to honor God. That's what he's saying. Those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who are worshiping other gods, those who are giving their allegiance to other things. Now, just understand that we're not necessarily only talking about little carved, handheld idols. We're not talking about about other deities that we're going and worshiping as we might think of that. We're talking about anything that takes our allegiance away from God, of which there are plenty of those in our lives. There are plenty of things that we give our allegiance to. Money is a big one. Materialism is huge. The American way of life is huge. Our, politi- our stance on politics is huge. Our affinity and devotion to the favorite team of choice that we have is huge. Our stubborn insistence that we get our way no matter what is huge. <laughs> I could get a lot closer to home, couldn't I? Well, there are plenty of those are plenty close to home already, aren't they? I hope so. I hope you don't think me sacrilegious for saying this, but I think in our, my culture I'm raised in, I think we can make an idol of our families. The necessity to keep our family together at all costs. Because I think Jesus spoke about that and he said that that may not be true.
There's all kinds of things that we give our allegiance to sometimes. That is anything but God. And this first category is those who do so openly. So that probably is not hitting very many of us yet because you're sitting in church on a Sunday morning. So I can't imagine that you're openly, you might be, you might just be faking it completely. If you are, I would ask you today to highly reconsider what you're doing. It is for the outright thumbing your nose at God and saying, I will give my allegiance to someone else that God's judgment is coming. But that's not the only category because the rest of verse five says those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, which is the God of Chemosh, the God of the uh, Moabites. That doesn't, I don't have to have that specifically exactly, I don't suppose. But the category for me is those who mix their allegiance between God and other gods. Now this one I think we have a lot tougher time with. This one probably hits us a little more than we'd like to admit. Because again, you're sitting in church, which means you've probably given your allegiance to God. But there's a really good chance that we have mixed allegiances in our midst. There's a really good chance that I struggle with separating my allegiances at times. Where I have to say, who gets the first right to decide what I do in my life? Is it God? Or is it something else? Is it me? Or is it the way I want to do it? Or is it what I want to do to keep this going? Or is it what someone else says? Or is it my cultural background, what I've been taught from young up? I can tell you that those who mix their allegiance between God and other gods, it is for that reason that God's judgment is coming. It was interesting when I'm in the country of India, it becomes so obvious because they have Hundreds of gods, thousands of gods, hundreds of thousands of gods. I'll never forget one scene as we walk into this rural village and there's this lady who's, uh, we're going by and just praying for people and she is, is coming out and is just, is, she's complaining bitterly to our translator who's a man of God and she knows it and, and she's complaining bitterly because there's other people in the village who are being mean to her and being unkind to her and he wants them to step, he wants to, he wants, she wants him to step in and help correct that. In fact, even some of the other believers, she feels like are not accepting her like they should. And she, and she had all these complaints. And she, she was asking for prayer, but she really was complaining about things that were going wrong in her life. And he listened. And there's, I mean, you've got to understand, like, I'm in a culture that I don't understand a word, right? So there's people that are, and they're just talking to each other. And if you have ever been around Indian people talking, they, they don't just, like, talk placidly, like, oh, that's nice. Like, they get animated and excited. And so they're like, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's, it's a big deal. And I'm not sure what's going on. And all of a sudden, I see him point, and he says something, and she just stops. And he says something else, and he looks at us, and he said, let's go. And it's probably the first instance I can think of that we walked away without praying for somebody who came to us in the entire time we're there. And of course, I'm walking away thinking, what just happened? Like, obviously, I can't understand a thing, but something just went down that I did not get. And so we asked him. Manny, why did we not pray for this lady? Like he had started like translating the first parts of it before the conversation got animated. And maybe some of you were in the church that were here and maybe I'm, I, you can con confirm or maybe, I mean, because a couple others would, be in, would have been in that group with us, I think. And if I understood him correctly, he said she was, like I said, complaining about things that weren't going right and was wondering why God wasn't answering, why, she, why the bad things were continuing to happen. And, and, was, and they just went back and forth and back and forth and he stopped and pointed, and what he pointed to, I didn't even necessarily recognize what it was, but it was a shelf right on the outside of her little hut that had a few other gods sitting on them. 
And he said, I pointed to her and I said, why haven't you got rid of those? And she didn't say anything. And when he saw that she was not willing to give those up, he turned to us and said, let's go. This is a mixing of allegiance, which is very common for people in those environments. They're happy to hear about Jesus. They're happy to receive Jesus. They just put him on the shelf along with every other God they have. I say to you again, brothers and sisters, here in White Pigeon, Michigan today, it is a lot easier when you're walking around in a country that actually has physical gods that they pray to, to see that mixture. It is much more difficult. And by God's grace and through our asking of the Holy Spirit, are we willing to allow him to illuminate how we have done, if there's ways that we have done that in our own lives? The mixing of our allegiance and say, yes, I'll take Jesus, but I also still give, pay homage or pay attention or give my bits of my allegiance to this. And there's yet one more category because if you read verse six, you read these words. Those who have turned back from following the Lord who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. And from that, I gather that there were those who gave their allegiance to God but turned away. Who said yes to God and then at some point said no. Who started down the road but didn't finish. And God is looking at them and says, they have turned back from following the Lord. They no longer seek me. They no longer inquire of me. And I can tell you that for that reason, God's judgment is coming. There's a reason Paul exhorts the Galatians and he says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will reap the harvest. If you continue. There's a reason that Jesus' message given through John in the book of Revelation over and over again is to him who endures. Him, that's the one who will overcome. That's the one who will be given a new name. That's the one who will, who will receive the seal of God. And all those, that's the one, the one who endures to the end. There's a reason Jesus told multiple parables about the reality that sometimes you're not prepared. Sometimes you're, not, you're doing other things because you think Jesus is gonna come back right away. Sometimes you're, you, you're tired of waiting. Some, all those things. This particularly, I think, is one that we should, again, invite the Holy Spirit to search us. Try me, God. See if there be any wicked way in me. See if there any part of me that wants to turn away, that is shrinking back. Again, writer of Hebrews says, he talks about what God's perspective on that is, and he says, ends that in chapter 10 by saying, but we are not of those who shrink back, but of those who live by faith. A little bit of my paraphrase. And in doing so, they save their souls is how he finishes that. Very fitting for Zephaniah that we're going to talk about. <laughs> In light of difficult things, I'm, I'm not immune to the fact that these kinds of things are, are heavy. These kinds of messages are hard. I also recognize that it does no good if the Holy Spirit begins something for me to lighten that burden from you. So I want to allow him to do his work. I do want to read to you this morning, just in, a pre in preparation for reading the entire book of, of uh, Zephaniah here over the next couple of weeks, I want to read to you, I'm going to clear the screen and read to you from Isaiah, again, a message out of the book of Isaiah. I'm going to jump in, so it's maybe a little awkward to jump in the middle of Isaiah's message uh, that God has given him. But he says this in Isaiah 45, 
I don't think I gave you this reference, so uh, even if you want to jot it down, you can go back and read it later. You can do that. Isaiah chapter 45, I'm going to read verses 15 to 23. Interestingly, in light of the other words that we read from Isaiah, Isaiah says this, truly, this is how, where I'm going to begin, truly you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Words we would not often put together, but we see Jesus do all the time, right? Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why don't you just make it plain what you want? So that seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Right? He quotes Isaiah, actually. Verse 16. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. Verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. This is what he says. I am the Lord and there is no other. You see the question of allegiance coming out? Do you believe that this morning? Is that what your heart is resting in? Is that what your faith is built on? Is that what your life is oriented around? That God is the Lord and there is no other. Verse 19, I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. You see the remnant theme coming out. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols. Keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. And here's the plea now. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Do you want to know what that word is? Do you want to know why I say this is a question of allegiance? Here's the word that shall not return. God says, to me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Take it to the bank, friends. It will happen. It will happen. The question is not whether it's going to happen. The question is not whether God will do what God has said he will do. The question is not whether someday everyone will confess and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is exactly who he says he is, that he is the Lord and there is no one. The question is not whether judgment will come. The question is... What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Where are we going to put our allegiance? Where does our heart go? Will we hide ourselves or will we turn away? Let's say that, do you remember the, the line from chapter three, verse 17 again? I'll read it for you. The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. Do you remember it well enough to say it with me? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Please, let's hang on to that phrase for the next several weeks. Let's allow the Lord to reveal to us what he wants us to know and let's respond according to the Holy Spirit. Pray with me if you would. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is powerful. It's living, it's active, it's sharp, it divides Oh, it has such ability to just prick us and, and, and make us aware how far short we fall from you, from understanding you, from being you. 
This is why we sing songs, God, of power and of proclamation and of, of freedom and of salvation, of redemption, and yet the ongoing refrain, yet not I, but Christ in me. This is why we sing songs that talk about all the difficulty and all the, even now, the unfolding judgment against the sinfulness of mankind and to say, Christ will be my hideaway. Hide me, O thou great Jehovah. Here's the thing, God. Through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, I believe your word has become clear. So we have a choice. Will we soften our heart? Will we allow it to have its work in us? Will we cry out, oh Lord, help me? Oh God, I'm sorry. Will we look to our good shepherd and say, would you Speak. Would you illuminate? Would you reveal of any way of lacking? Not because it feels good. Not because I like it. But because I know it's worth it. Because I've tasted the sweetness of when I'm right with you, God. Because I've seen the glory of what it means to have you look at me and say, my son, Because I believe it's my only way to be hidden from the storm. God, by faith, I say these words this morning for myself. And in, as much as I am able to, uh, for the hearts that are here that are looking to you for all of us, God, I say these words. Do not too quickly let this burden of your great judgment be lifted off of us. May James's words be true, weep, wail, and mourn. Thank you, Father, for loving us enough to give us truth.
Thank you, Father, for disciplining us that we might share in your holiness. Thank you, Father, that your grace is so amazing that while we were dead in the sins and the trespasses, while we were alienated from you, while we were in the world in bondage, while we were deserving of your wrath just like all of mankind, you, God, because of your great mercy, the love with which you loved us, you made us alive together with Christ. You raised us up with him. You seated us in the heavenly places so that your glory and your majesty might be put on display. It's by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not by something we've done. We, don't, we can't boast. It's by grace through Jesus Christ. For we are your workmanship, God created in Christ Jesus for good works that you've prepared for us beforehand. Oh, God, help us to walk in those. Thank you. Thank you for men like Zephaniah, God, who preach difficult things and that you, God, recorded them and they're here for us. We give you glory and praise for all the things you will do in us in the coming weeks according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.